This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is hard sometimes, and there are many pathways in navigating the inevitable ups and downs of life. In riding these waves, I look to my yoga practice and also therapy. We all go through tough times like big life changes, periods of instability, conflict, or loss. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist entirely online, which is very convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Take the questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And if it's not the right match for you, no worries. You can change your therapist for no additional charge. Sometimes getting started in therapy is the hardest part. To make it a little bit easier, go to the link provided in the show notes or go to visit betterhelp.com slash yoga and podcast today to get 10% off your first month. Welcome to the Yoga and Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, a yoga teacher and embodiment teacher, living, teaching, and learning every day in beautiful Austin, Texas. And I'm curious about all things yoga and. And lately, I've been interested in the people in the yoga community who are contributing to the world in creative and innovative ways. Today, we will explore the subject of yoga and the shadow. I'm especially excited about this episode because I'll be interviewing friend of the show, an incredible human, Giaconda Parker. Gia has been a reoccurring guest on the show. When you get a chance, check out her other episodes, episode nine, Yoga and Fear, and episode 17, Yoga and the Creation Cycle. In this episode, Gia will touch on the intersection of the shadow and spiritual bypassing. And I found this to be quite an interesting conversation. I actually went into this interview thinking one thing about the shadow and by the end I realized my idea of the shadow is actually, the reality is quite different than what I thought it was. So I know you will get something out of this episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy. All right, please welcome to the show, wonderful human being, amazing yoga teacher and transpersonal psychologist, Giaconda Parker. How are you today? I am doing so well. I'm excited to be here with you again and have a, another interesting conversation. Yes, and we were, we were talking about what the conversation might be and I was, I'm really intrigued. Uh, we decided on the shadow self, yoga and the shadow. Uh, which is quite a quite an interesting topic. Uh, would you like to tell the listeners a little more about you and your background and yoga and um, your work, your studies? Sure, sure. So I've been teaching yoga for over 20 years now, which is really kind of hard to believe. It feels like it's my whole life and that it also just feels like it's gone so quickly. Um, So when I first started practicing yoga, I came to yoga for sort of healing and to try and find um, some better, clear direction in my life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then over the course of years, that has all that's continued to be true for me. 
um, on some level. And, you know, a lot of things have shifted, changed, and evolved too. So about 10 years ago, um, I got really interested in sort of, well, so it's transpersonal psychology, which is a field that some people are familiar with and some people are not. But transpersonal psychology is, uh, is a field of study that says that our spiritual well-being is part of our total well-being, but mm -hmm. it's not exclusively important that also our integrated humanity is important. So being healthy psychologically, healthy spiritually, and then residing in that unique interface between our spiritual path and our, our human journey, and that they are not separate, but they inform each other. And so transpersonal psychology to me is uh, fascinating for that reason. It's like, how do we navigate just this beautifully complicated situation of um, human life, life on earth. Um, and then it also takes into account altered states of um, consciousness, whereas Western psychology might call some what happens to someone a psychotic break, you know, from a transpersonal perspective, we might look at it as a dark night of the soul moment. Oh. And, um, and see that in that darkness um, also lies the potential for great shift transformation and change and um, new doors of possibility being open. Um, and so speaking out, you know, and other altered states are like taken into account. So plant medicine is considered to be, you know, another uh, door of possibility and has been used by ancient traditions for centuries in order to um, open our aperture for more of a, a greater perspective on things. Um, and then, of course, trance state has been um, sought after and induced by so many different um, world religions and traditions. So transpersonal psychology accepts all those points of view as, as valid possibilities and valid possible paths and at the same time looks to ground them in a way that we don't get lost. Oh, wow. Uh, where does religion, if at all, come come into play in that? If, I mean, you know, because people, there's spirituality and there's religion and then there's transpersonal psychology. You, I guess you have to study all the religions in order to understand uh, spirituality? So this is a pregnant question. <laughs> so I'm going to take, take a little time in delivering my answer as it were. But I will say that for my operating understanding is that um, spirituality can be part of someone's religious practice um, or it can be practiced on its own without being in the structure of religion. And also people can be practicing religion without having a spiritual experience of their own or a spiritual practice of their own. Mm. So there's the full wide range of that. What we do see when we look at most of the 
um, religions that are still practiced today by, you know, large populations is we see um, an enlightened being or a luminary who um, had an experience, shared it with a group of people directly, and then those, that group of people disseminated the teachings that continued to be disseminated that then got organized and became a religion. Mm. And so there, that, that original spark um, of connection with the divine, which is to me like that's what I define as a spiritual practice. A spiritual practice is whatever we do to connect with and people have issues with some of these words, but to connect with God, goddess, the universe. It's very interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend last week where she was like, when did we replace the word God with the universe in the yoga world? I was like, dang, that's a great question. And as we continued our conversation, we both sort of landed on remembering that trend starting right around the time that the movie The Secret came out. And Ah, right. And Mm -hmm. that would be maybe one of those moments where we would really see the blending of new age with yoga. Mm. And then in yoga, it, you know, it's like, we're, we're always talking about the universe, you know? Um, But, but really, aren't we, I mean, isn't that another word to try to explain this essential something greater that we're all trying to connect with. So, and I have a natural interest in this. So my father was a missionary. I was born in the mission field and um, uh, we, I grew up in Puerto Rico and St. Lucia and, uh, and then even domestically we moved around. Um, My parents went back into the mission field and they're still very avid, um, very conservative Christian tradition. And you know, so the question of God was always in the forefront of my life and has oh. continued and has continued to be, whether it's ac- avidly pursuing a relationship with that or avidly avoiding a relationship with, with, with that uh, uh-huh. or tr- trying to find a different name and a different tradition and ultimately finding that the need in me was the same whether I was looking for it, trying to fit into church or rebelling against church or trying to fit in with a guru in the yoga tradition or Mm. healing from wounds from being involved with a guru in a yoga tradition, right? Ultimately, um, I, I think we all need some sort of connection with spirit. We have to find it somehow some way um i think yoga is where a lot of people find it and they find it through the embodied experience and through breath and through um just sort of clearing the the things that make us forget that we're we're born connected to that so as that clears then then we can come back to it and of course, what we're talking about all right now is we're all talking about like the, the light aspect of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, uh-huh. oh, spirit, like we tend to think when we think of God or we look at this, these images, what do we see? We see like a candle flame, we see the sun, 
we see, you know, the light of consciousness. We don't talk about like the darkness of consciousness. We talk about the light <laughs> in that in that aspect. But, you know, having spent, well, you know, more than 20 years around the yoga tradition and prior to that, close to 20 years around a very strong Christian tradition. Mm. I will also say that wherever the light shines brightly, there is also shadow. There's oh, also shadow. Yeah. And so that was my other uh, strong pull to study transpersonal psychology was really uh, the first time I heard the term spiritual bypass and then started looking into shadow work and was like, oh, wow. Oh, this is explaining so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. So I definitely followed follow that path as well. Yeah. So those of us who we're talking about shadow may not have ever heard of shadow work before the shadow side, uh, in your, in your words, what, how would you describe that for someone who's never heard of shadow work before? Well, I would say basically like you can think of it in a very practical way. You have to have light in order for a shadow to be cast and whatever is the shadow is what's not in the light. So, um, some people, you know, think of shadow work and they're like, you know, I just, they kind of rub their hands together and like, Ooh, we're going to talk about all that deep down, dark, awful stuff, you know, that everybody keeps in the way. But I would say there's an aspect to that that's true. But in, in my experience and my understanding and in, in doing this work with other people, as well as my own journey, shadow is anything that has yet been yet to be brought into the light. And most of us, the aspects of our shell, of ourselves that we have in the shadow, uh, it's in the shadow because we were told to put it there. Mm, yep, to fit into society, to, yeah, fill in the boxes. Yes. Fit into to this box, yeah. Exactly. So there's, you know, there are things that are shadow because culturally, they are cast that way. There are things that are shadow because in our family of origin, some behavior was not welcome. And it doesn't even have to be verbalized. I mean, for some of us, it was very much verbalized, but it doesn't have to be verbal. We are so intuitive, especially even pre-language, you know? Um, and in those early, early years before we have language, and once we have language, we can also organize our thinking in a different way. But, but the, you know, those early years, uh, we just feel, we feel, uh, oh, I just tried that. And that did not get met with love. You know, yes. I, I played out this aspect of myself. And sometimes, you know, some of us got yelled at, some of us got ignored. Some of us just had that, the fear, the silent fury. That was such a clear communication. Like, nope, those parts of you are not welcome here. Mm. And then, then there's the messaging around. There's the gender, you know, gender biases with shadow. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, I, I, it, it does seem like some of that shifting, which is amazing, but, you know, staying on this idea of what's shadow is. So if you're a woman, and you're highly opinionated and you are told in no uncertain terms, that's not ladylike. 
then, you know, it becomes shadow. Um, so instead of being able to, and then this is what happens when things are in the shadow, the things that are in the shadow, especially the things that we're unconscious of, they are operating under the surface and manipulating our behavior in a way that we haven't seen yet. So you could say things in the shadow are things that are unacknowledged. And you could also say things are in the shadow or just the things that you have yet to bring to light, the light of your own consciousness. Wow. <laughs> that is, let's just take that in for a moment. That is, that's amazing. It, it's about being unaware and let in, in a sense, and when it's unrealized, it can eat away at you, mm -hmm. the shadow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can, it can, um, it can manipulate your behavior. I mean, we have some mm. obvious expressions of that, you know, if you were traditions that tend to require repressed sexuality, what we mm -hmm. see is subverted sexuality that expresses in a, in another way that's maybe not quite so healthy. Mm -hmm. So that would be, you know, I mean, it's one thing to embrace sort of, you know, in the yoga tradition, we have the Sanskrit word brahmacharya, um, which, you know, these days as, as modern yogis, we interpret it the way that we want to, but, you know, at some point in the tradition, it meant a certain period of time during which you didn't indulge sexual behavior in order to reroute that energy to focus and study. Oh, so wow. see, we, and so that would be like speaking of shadow and light. So in, on this topic, because you can't talk about shadow and not talk about sex, I guess, apparently. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I will also say like a lot of times that is one of the, um, you know, one of the yama niyamas that uh, I see students struggle with a lot. They're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if, how I feel about that. But the light of the teaching, the light mm -hmm. part of the teaching says you have a certain amount of energy and that's, you know, and you can choose where you want to put it. And oh, yes. sexuality is one place where you can put it, explore it, express it, enjoy it. And perhaps on this journey, if you are on a journey of being more aware, perhaps you put some containment around that to see where, what would that do? What does that do for you? Does that give you um, more vitality? to focus what's it like for six months to take like as somebody who's um been single more than not you know to take to take dating entirely off the table mm -hmm. and like how much psychic space is freed up for me to mm. then put my attention somewhere else so that's the light aspect of the teaching now the shadow aspect of the teaching is when you're doing the letter of the law but not the essence of it so the the shadow of it is to put these constraints on ourselves in a way that we lose sight of what the the light aspect of the teaching is and then and then it is shadow and it could be also, this is where shadow and spiritual bypass become like comrades. <laughs> oh, so, okay. right. Because I can embrace that light teaching as a practice for me on occasion, or I can be somebody who is 
working through a heartache or heartbreak. And I don't really want to do that because we don't always want to do the hard stuff. So sometimes, you know, some aspect of you may not want to do that. Well, then it becomes convenient and an expression of spiritual bypass to then say, well, actually I am not engaging in that area of life anymore because I am now dedicated to my yoga practice. And now all of a sudden I have this really great excuse for avoiding a level of deeper work, emotional work that could Mm. happen for me. But instead now I have a, I have a light teaching that I can then use to avoid my real work. And then what happens, right, is then I start being that judgy person who's like, well, I mean, if you were really embracing yoga, you you wouldn't be dating either. I mean, that's really kind of a- Shaming low... other people. Yeah, because there's unresolved stuff underneath. And then I've put this practice on top as like a lid or a container. And whenever we do that, you know, and that's- what you know, what Carl Jung says, like, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Wow. <laughs> so good. It's so good, you know, and it's like like the depth of that to say, like, okay, so so shadow work. Shadow work is to consciously first to consciously admit like there is stuff going on under the surface that I don't know, but it is causing me to react or act out in ways that I don't understand. Uh And for me, you know, to me, that's always the, I always know there's some shadow work to be done when I'm having an inordinate response to an everyday interaction or an everyday experience or like a small thing that somebody said or did that I just cannot stop being angry about judgmental about upset by Uh like you know it's just it's whenever the reaction is inordinate then i then i know there's something here for me right so shadow can express as repression Um, And shadow can also express as projection, you know, so if, so for instance, if I'm told, here's a great example. I see this a lot. I've been through this. I've been through this myself personally too. So I, um, I was, was raised in a way that double whammy being a woman first, but then also with sort of like this kind of idealized version of how a Christian would behave. Mm. Ambition was definitely something that was shamed in my family to be ambitious at all for anything other than trying to save souls, right? That's the only ambition that's okay. But like having ambition in the world, actually even having... Um, you know, desires for a certain level of success or recognition, um, you know, seen as grasping. And there is an aspect where that, that can be a problem. But it, so if I grow up and I am ambitious, but I tell myself that I'm not ambitious because I'm not allowed to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, and when I say ambitious, I just mean somebody who has a desire to like 
for me to do meaningful work and reach people with that. I, I want to do that. And, um, and it's taken, it's taken a lot of therapy for me to be able to say that out loud and know that other people listening to this podcast will like hear me say that and they will unlikely or uh, very likely there will be people who have a reaction to that. Like, wait, I thought yoga teachers were supposed to be non-grasping they're supposed to let go of ambition. So, you know, it's, it's understanding that, but here's how it works, right? So I'm, I'm not supposed to be ambitious. And so I repress that and I don't go for the things that um, some desire, some deep desire to express myself that's inside of me. I don't act on that Mm. because of this sort of shadowy relationship that I have with being successful or, you know, taking deliberate steps forward on a path. Mm-hmm. Um, when I don't do that and I bump up against someone else in the same career who is doing that, uh-huh. then projection works like this. Who does she think she is to be able to do that? Oh, yeah. Right? So what I'm projecting mm-hmm. is my own unsatisfied desires. And I'm, I'm projecting the judgment that I have about myself onto that other person. Mm. So, so that's how projection can be linked to the things that I have a shadowy relationship with. When I see someone expressing... And this is sometimes called bright shadow work. If I can, if I'm willing to look at myself and go, why am I so bothered by that person just doing what they want to do? And if I can get really honest about it and say, well, because I want to do that, but I didn't do it and they did it. And now I'm upset about that. And then, you know, and from there I can like dig another layer deeper and maybe liberate, you know, that quality of my personality that I was born with that somebody told me to put in a closet and lock away. And so to me, like there is value in doing shadow work just so that we can, we can see it when we're like, Oh yeah, I'm feeling that way because of my stuff, not because of your actions. But the bright Mm -hmm. side of that is that I can genuinely, if I go through that process, I can genuinely be grateful for that. Thank you for crossing my path and showing me these things about myself that I wasn't letting myself express. That's beautiful. Yeah. I always think of, I always think of that um, when you're giving that example, I always thought of um, jealousy. So before we, we hit record, I have a little list of like all my, all my shadows and jealousy was a big one. And um, jealousy was something that when I was in my twenties, that was a big problem. And what I finally took away from it is the silver lining of jealousy is it shows you what you want. And so for instance, I did a lot of yin yoga at the time and that helped me process my jealous feelings. Yes, <laughs> and, absolutely. And, and I'd slow down enough to, Ooh, my, my gut hurts. Cause I'm mad because someone else has something I want. And, um, and so when you gave that example, it made me think of all the times I've been jealous in my life, but, but how it's informed 
what I want. And instead of just staying jealous, doing something about it, processing it, acknowledging it is my stuff. I mean, this took years. Again, it didn't just mm -hmm. happen overnight. But then understanding that I feel this way because it's what I want and I can create that as long as I'm in touch with the feelings of it and I can somewhat manifest it. I mean, you know, basic stuff is what I would get jealous about sometimes. So I could, you know, make that happen somewhat easily for myself. Yeah, and I think most of us, I mean, I, I think everyone I know who's self-reflective and able to be really honest um, mm. would would admit that that jealousy is part of the human journey. And, you know, some people are more prone to that than others, you know, yeah. like... <laughs> Like we have, we all, I think we all experience probably most of what is deemed to be like shadowy, like sort of emotions or shadowy sort of patterns. And we also probably all have like the big defaults that mm. may be linked to the link to our personality type or linked to sort of, you know, since it's a yoga and podcast, you know, in Ayurveda, people have different elements that are more prominent. And so I think the more fiery you are, the more likely you are to experience more like the ambitious jealousy paradigm, you know, and maybe if you're a little more earthy, you're more likely to experience the possessive, um, you know, holding on to things paradigm and, you know, I don't know, you know, the air people, I don't know what they struggle with. They don't seem yeah. to struggle as much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, you know, like anxiety, maybe more of that, like fear, like fear of losing things. Yeah, or maybe yeah. self-sabotaging because of the worry. Maybe that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's just generalizations, but Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing about shadow work, it occurs to me as we're talking about this is, is that the only way that we can really do this work is to start from a place of witness consciousness and compassion. Mm. I'm not going to be able to acknowledge that I have a behavior that I've been taught was shameful if I can't separate behavior from who I am, mm. you know? Yes. Yes. So like you were saying, I, I heard this and what you were sharing about jealousy, where like, if you're consumed by the experience of it, you can't learn anything from it. It just makes you suffer. It's, you know, makes you miserable. Mm -hmm. But once you can contain it and say, oh, interesting. It's, you know, it's like you can hold it out in front of yourself instead of having it be the all-consuming experience. But if you can hold it out in front, then you can be like, oh, objectively, what I'm experiencing is jealousy. And now I know, you know, given the insights that you're able to gain through that wiser witness self can look and say, oh, there's some information in here for me. What do I really want? that I haven't let myself want yet. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the other thing about shadow work. Just 
even in engaging it in this way of saying, I'm about to sit down and do some shadow work. That's a very different context than to say, I'm about to sit down and list all the things about me that are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to sit down and write about what a terrible human being I am. Well, I'm glad you're saying this because when you Google how to do shadow work, you know, it's Google, a million things come up, seven ways to do your shadow work. And I, you know, I've looked at articles. Some of them say that, like, this is your negative side, (laughs) write down, write down. I mean, more or less words, write down all the things. Well, that's not accurate. Uh, So I'm glad you're saying that. No. And that's really, you know, dark shadow. And and yeah, we can, we can admit that there are things that left unattended can really be problematic um, and can become, you know, seriously debilitating personality traits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this is the thing though. I mean, what I, you know, I do like to talk about shadow work um, and I, and I'm glad we're doing it in a little longer conversation because of exactly what you're talking about. I also see the flip side of that, which is people who are like, yeah, I really just want to hang out in the shadows, you know, (laughs) and, and that's not balanced either. It's not balanced to hang out, try to hang out in the light all the time. I mean, we all know people who cannot see themselves because they can only see good qualities. Mm. And it's hard to have a depth of relationship. Um, And inevitably, people who are only ever looking at their positive qualities, um, you know, it's real hard to be a human around them. Yes. Because they aren't... They aren't accepting or dwelling in, allowing. And I find there's actually great liberation in, in, you know, of course there's that resistance moment right before you're like, no, 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 I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. No. And it's so rigid. Like I can feel the rigidity in my body when I'm on that, the verge. But then that moment of acceptance and softening, it's like, oh, oh, right. Me, just like everyone else, I, you know, I have things that I don't want to know about myself and I can look right, look, you know, in hindsight and see like, that was really acting out and Uh I wasn't aware, you know, Uh I made choices based on something that was pushing me in a direction and it was some stuff I just didn't want to know yet. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that moment of softening that happens. And if we can have that moment of softening, you know, amongst our, in our communities of saying, it's hard, it's tricky to be in a community that has these, these light teachings, right? Like cultivate kindness, cultivate compassion, cultivate this, cultivate that. I mean, as long as we all get it, like, I'm cultivating compassion, which means I'm going to have to see the places where I'm not compassionate Mm. rather than, okay, let's all try to be really compassionate and then be really mean and judgy if someone acts out in a way that's not compassionate (laughs) or a way I perceive to be not, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's personal responsibility that's required. 
um, when you want to be in the light and you also have to recognize that the shadow comes with the light mm. always always mm. talking about the spiritual bypassing, I think my thought on that is you have to be able to be in touch with your thoughts and your feelings. If you cannot be in touch with your thoughts and feelings, I think it's really easy to spiritual bypass. Mm -hmm. Like when I think of spiritual bypassing specifically, I think of the people who only think of themselves as positive and they're like yoga people. And it's like, they're a care bear, a living, breathing care bear. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's fine for five minutes but then I'm like uh <laughs> I can't relate to you at all mm -hmm. uh but that that's been my experience like encountering that um when when I think of it um it's like almost too positive but like there's no there's like an imbalance um and there's nothing wrong with being positive but give right. me a break people <laughs> Right. Well, um, you know, I love the model of the chakras. Um, mm. and that may be, you know, like, uh, just to just really overview with that. Um, by the way, chakras are found in almost every mystical tradition. So seven energy centers of the body are referred to in the Bible. Uh, Kabbalah has 13 Egyptian tradition has eight yoga has seven. Um, so there's so many different ways to look at and interact with that, but, but often, you know, we have this grouping that says we have these, the upper chakras and the lower chakras, and that's not judgmental. It's just saying the lower chakras are more like it goes with the mystical teaching as above, so below that what is here on earth is also mirrored in this in spirit. And so the lower chakras are just the chakras that relate to like everyday living survival all those kinds of, you know, baseline things. And then there's the upper ones. But the truth is that some of the harder work is to balance in the lower chakras. Like that's sort of often for many of us, kind of like it's life work of unwinding these like patterns that interfere or like what are our survival tactics and can we recognize when they're triggered and transcend them? through higher consciousness. But, but what can happen on the spiritual bypass is like, for instance, somebody who's just never been very good at like having a job or paying their bills. And then they encounter kind of an unbalanced spiritual community. And then they're like, you know, I, I renounce my worldly, you know, my worldly possessions. And I, you know, I don't, I don't need a, I don't need to pay rent. I can just live out of my car and chant, <laughs> yeah. chant mantras all day. And then eventually then what happens is like now they're in a position that someone else is going to have to take care of them. And it feels really on some level, it, it's so much easier for someone who has that tendency. And of course the tendencies mm -hmm. can go either way, but somebody who has that tendency is to, I renounce the world because I'm not very functional in it anyway. 
<laughs> God. <laughs> right? But, or, you know, but, but we can see this in other ways too. It's, um, you know, if we don't want to assert our own, we see this dynamic. Um, I saw this dynamic growing up, which is that women uh, were not men, like the man is the head of the household. Right. Oh yeah. The way that I Southern Christian, very yes. traditional Christian family. But I will tell you that the women were very good at pulling strings and mm. right. And then it becomes shadowy manipulation to get their way instead of just saying, Hey, this is what I want in my relationship. You know, then it, then it's like guilt trips and, and, you know, kind of like you get this, if you do this for me, it's like, I hold my power this way. You hold your power that way. You know, that kind of, that kind of bypass. Well, we have those kinds of relationships within ourselves, And sometimes Mm -hmm. it becomes spiritual bypass when we meet up with a uh, religious or spiritual practice that happens to perfectly fit with our own psychological issues and becomes a really good excuse to never work on those. Wow. <laughs> that is, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Right. So that's, and that's, that's how the shadow interacts. And we are talking about kind of two different things, but they, they do have some overlap. For instance, you know, there are traditions that teach non-attachment. Oh. And if you are a, a person who kind of has a hard time committing in relationships, Uh then you can adapt that non-attachment as a cover-up for, I don't actually, I I don't do that kind of commitment. Uh So, you know, that would be another example of like the spiritual bypass to um, doing the hard work that it takes to continue to show up long-term in a relationship and whether you're talking about romantic relationships or friendships, but it's like to understand um, that that teaching of non-attachment is not meant as the opportunity to avoid emotion, but rather the true practice of non-attachment says, I'm going to stop trying to get you to do the things that I need you to do to make me feel okay. And we actually are so much more vulnerable when we're truly connecting from a place of non-attachment. We kind of feel more, not less. But these mm. teachings, yeah, that you know, with these teachings, this the, you know, I think it it might just take some time. Um and being more open to see, is this, am I using this as a way to avoid my work or am I truly to the best of my ability in this moment, working to understand what each of these teachings are? Cause I feel like, you know, we have 10 of them in yoga. I feel like you could just take one of them and work on it for the rest of your life and just, oh, yes. Right. And that's why I call them light teachings, because then it's like, then it's this one teaching that then starts to shine light on these things that have been in the shadow. Mm. 
how do you recommend for someone who is like, ooh, I, listening to this, they want to start working on their shadow. They don't want a spiritual bypass, but they want, you know, they're, they want to really get in there, but they're not sure how. I mean, obviously there's yoga. Obviously you can mm-hmm. write in your journal. Um, you can take mm-hmm. one of the teachings from yoga. Is there, is there any advice you would give them specifically in starting or? Well, I could share a practice that I do for myself fairly often. And mm-hmm. how I know when it's time to do it is like I said, there's just something to use a Southern expression is just stuck in my crawl. You know, I cannot, <laughs> I can't stop, you know, and this, I mean, and it can come in so many different forms. It can be something that keeps popping up on social media. And I feel my body have a reaction. It feels like a sucker punch or um, I start to feel worried or, you know, it's like whenever there's something that is continued, it keeps coming up. I'm like, okay, there's some work to do here. Mm-hmm. And so I set aside some time to do it. And sometimes I can do it right in the moment when the trigger happens. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to take some time in my contemplation tomorrow morning and I'm going to work with this. And so then I set that container and I do light a candle and I do that just because I'm like, oh, right. I'm, I'm, I'm committing to the light <laughs> and nice. I'm going to work with what comes up. And so it's a little ritual reminder for me that mm. the aim of the work is like I said, from a kind, compassionate place to understand what it is about this. That's trying to teach me something. So I set that container and then I just stop, breathe for a moment until my body feels relaxed. And then I call in whatever it was. And sometimes it's just, you just have to think about the person's face. and You feel it all happen if it's with the person so, or the situation, if it's a situation, you know, and then I feel what's coming up physically first. And I notice that. And then I sort of say out loud, I feel this here, here, and here. Um, and then I write. So then I just write down really no holds barred. This is not for anyone to ever read. <laughs> I might burn it or tear it up or throw it away as soon as I'm done. But then I just really get super detailed and exactly what it is that's, that's triggering me mm. on some level. And then I go through and I ask myself, once I do that, then I sit down and breathe again. And then I say, okay, now it's on a piece of paper. So as um, a fair witness to myself. Can I read that? I read the piece of paper and then I ask myself the questions first. Is this projection? No. Like, is there any way that this thing that I feel like someone's done to me or this thing that's I'm being triggered by, is that also my behavior? Do I act like that? And sometimes the answer is yes. And that's a hard moment to be like, Mm-hmm. I'm so bothered by how judgy that person is. Cause I'm so judgy. Oh my God. I'm so judgy, you know? And then I can get to know like that judgmental aspect of myself. And usually whenever the answer, that first answer is yes, I can trace it right back to whatever was modeled for me that I adopted mm-hmm. and that I have and then over that, I adopted like a, a persona that's very non-judgy, but underneath there is, is the judgmental one, right? That's the first step. And then 
And then if that's the work, then the work there is to say, oh, look at that aspect of me and how it's acting out. And thank you for coming along so that I can be aware that that's probably going on under the surface a lot. And maybe ah. I can I can actually be more aware of that and recognize that if it's going on under the surface in response to other people, it's running all the time under the surface about myself. Mm. So then I can start to work with that. The next step, if the answer really is like, you know, no, like it's, this, I'm really not at all, at all like that. In fact, I'm so not like that. Okay. Oh, there's a clue, right? Which is to say, okay, but say I'm judging someone for being really bossy. Um, and I'm like, I'm really not a bossy person. In fact, I hardly ever tell anybody what to do. And then I recognize like, oh, I'm bothered because I don't feel that I have the right to ask for what I want or to tell other people what to do. And this is the bright shadow work that says, you know what? I actually am not as laid back as I like to pretend I am. And I'm pretty clear about what I want. I just never ask for it. And so this thing is triggering me because it's time in my life for me to say, hey, bossy aspect of myself, you get to come out of the closet now. I and see. see, you get to come out of the closet now and you yeah. get to help me because guess what? I, as, a, as an adult woman, I need that part of myself back. And that's why it could have been triggering you all along is that unrealized Absolutely. side of you that had to go away because society needed you to at that moment when you were young. Bingo. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Like that's it. And so, so I go through, you know, that process, those two things. And then in the end, if it doesn't feel like it's either one of those, then it really is just a moment for sometimes for forgiveness. Mm. And sometimes it's actually a moment uh, if it's with a person and I do that whole process and sometimes it's just a sign that like that relationship has come full circle and there's, it's something, it's something that I'm going to need to shift or take space from. So to be clear, like we can, we can use anything um, to make ourselves at fault all the time. For those of us who tend to really be always self-reflective, mm -hmm. we have to know that every once in a while, it really isn't about us. But I will say there's always some piece that's mine. And once I handle the part that's mine, then usually the whole dynamic changes. Either it doesn't bother me anymore or that person like moves away or, or you know, or something, something changes or all of a sudden it's like the relationship gets a whole new level of, of um, depth and I'm just so glad that I was able to, to handle the part that was for me to get the learning and then to move forward with, you know, a little more self-knowledge, a little less suffering. That's beautiful. So it sounds like you have to do your work and work on whatever aspect that is you in that conflict or issue, even if, even if it's not really you, but acknowledge it and then it'll transmute and you, you actually both can move forward, I would imagine. Because um, when you're moving forward, the other person has no choice but to move forward. Like That's right. Do you find that 
for me, I've found like when I'm in an uncomfortable situation and that brings up shadow stuff and I reflect and say I do my work on that. Um, eventually, say it's an individual that I, I don't get along with and I do my work and I figure out why that is. And then if I do my work well, or if I, if I'm really, um, being self-reflective and doing a good job of that, I always feel like it comes around again as a test, but it's never the same. Like it's like a spiral and they're just like, they're circling back like, Hey, I'm here just to make sure you learn the lesson. And then usually that'll let me know if I learned the lesson or did the work or not. I'm curious if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's such a beautiful insight and the imagery. Um, to me, a spiral is probably the best symbol of our journey mm. because we do come back around on things, but we do see it from a different perspective when we are, you know, just staying awake as much as possible with some compassion and some kindness for ourselves and others, you know, mm. like it, it doesn't go away. And I will say that, you know, my first 10 years of yoga practice and spiritual practice, I was, I was pretty sure that I was going to get that stuff managed. And I was pretty hardcore <laughs> about it. Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of hours in meditation and contemplation and all kinds of different, different kinds of therapy and, uh-huh. and uh, lots of other things. <laughs> <laughs> Some, some of those doorway experiences um, along the way, uh, you know, just, and what has been really comforting in the process of the last 10 years since then is to recognize that nothing's gone awry if I'm back up against the same content because that's how it works. Actually, it wasn't even one of my um, spiritual teachers. It was one of my writing teachers early on when I was in college. Oh. He said, you essentially as writers will be working with about five themes in your writing for the entirety of your writing career. And then he said, and he's like, as somebody who he at the time, I think he was in his fifties said, and it seems to me that that's also true, whether you're writing about it or not, <sighs> that, that in life, you're essentially working with about five themes and you might be working a different aspect of it, mm -hmm. but essentially we're working with like five, five themes. So of course we're going to circle back on that same thing and that you know the 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 wound will heal but will never not be there but it's our mm. experience and relationship to it will continue to change and and at some point we realize like i would not trade that difficulty in or my like the whole like texture and uniqueness of my life wouldn't be what it is. Mm, yes, I I agree with that. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So the spiral, like you said, yeah, we're spiraling. <laughs> Sometimes, and we don't always spiral up. Sometimes, honestly, you spiral down for a little it's while. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So when you mentioned judgmental, I I grew up in a very judgmental household. Like I, I just my whole. I mean, we could talk about careers I've had where it's just a very judgmental environment, and uh, and talking about like growing up the way you grew up and then maybe you would never take that back because it's made you who you are. Uh, I, you know, the moment I see judgment, I feel it, I sense it in within others, within myself, I'm very attuned to it now mm-hmm. where had I had the, you know, the perfect, you know, whatever upbringing, no judgment or whatever you want to call it. That doesn't mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't be uh, the no BS Ashley <laughs> that I am today um, had I not had that. So, like, that's one aspect, I think, of, and, and I am, I also, I know I have the ability to be very judgmental. I do know that about myself, mm-hmm. but it, it is a choice, um, and that, that is, you know, that's taken a lot of journaling and... <laughs> realizing but it's a def- it is a default because if you grew up in that way it's very natural it's not you it's it's just what you know is weirdly comfortable sometimes mm. so I, I love that you mentioned the judgment because I really I mean it's the su- it's the southern bell you know like I, I remember growing up and there was just so much gossip like the moment someone would turn away you know somebody will be gossiping about the other person and maybe it's not just a Southern thing, but it's that bless your heart and then say something bad (laughs) about the person who's like six feet away or Mm -hmm. um, that's just how I grew up. And I just thought that was normal. And um, it's, it's not, that's not good. You know, Um, you know, I love that you said that you feel it coming up and um, you know, since this is the yoga and, you know, <laughs> podcast, I would say like, like that's the incredible thing that the yoga practice starts to give us is like a felt experience of our thoughts. Mm, yes. You know, and it's like, yes. I, you know, I, when you were talking, I was like, yeah, I know how judgment feels when it comes up in my body. You know, it has a rigidity to it. Yes. Literally like a, like a physical feeling of being rigid and um and so that is also like like the kind of the beauty of using the embodied approach to our psychological work Mm -hmm. is that we we don't have to be so hyper vigilant from our brains Mm-hmm. Our body will say, Ooh, that thing you're thinking does not feel good to me. Mm-mm. That way that you're talking about someone, you know, it's like you, you can feel it when you're like kind of going into slippery territory and your body's kind of <laughs> like, Ooh, why are we doing this? You know? <laughs> so, you know, that I love, I love that, that part of it, you know, that you're even your initial talking about it. You're like, I feel it when it's happening. 
Mm-hmm. And and that being said, I have gossip before. I'm not acting like I'm a saint. Like, of let's course. just be very, very clear. <laughs> yeah, chances I, are I you may... might even do it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm probably going to do it at some point. <laughs> Before I die. Yeah, I'll probably gossip again. But uh, it's but it was so normal and natural and ingrained in my upbringing that it's taken me a long time to pull to shift and and shift out of that. It's and, you know, there's something um, something about it that uh, it's almost like a superiority thing when, you you know, it's like your lower self. It's really you know, the lower self is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to gossip. And, and that makes me feel like connected to this person. And it, but it's not a real connection and they don't trust you um, because you're talking about someone else in front of them. Like, so um, I just find that interesting um, gossip. I find gossip very interesting. And then I read something, I don't know where I read it. So I don't know if it's legit, but there's some sort of dopamine dopamine rush or females feel like they're bonding when they gossip. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was like, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's, um, we should be promoting that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So well, it's, yeah. yeah, it's almost like, you know, when addicts get together, you know, it's more fun to indulge it together. So, you know, perhaps some of like what you're talking about, you know, perhaps it would be interesting to, I mean, and again, we just, we do want to stay away from like the shame guilt aspect of this conversation, which I don't feel like you're, you're getting into that territory at all. And I want to watch that I don't either, but it could be very interesting to see like, when that starts to arise like is there a reroute is there another thing that we could come together around other Mm. than talking about someone else you know and there is a level to where so we have the limbic brain Mm -hmm. um, which is also sometimes called like the mammal brain and the limbic brain's um, number one question is am I loved And so when we're in that, and the limbic brain is also the part of the brain that tends to be like, basically like our brain's um, drugstore. Like, you know, when the limbic brain gets going, then it hits these different sort of different parts of the brain that produce the chemicals. So we get used to certain chemical compounds, right? Like you were saying, like I like judgment, like I don't really like it. And yet at the same time, there's also like, I know how it feels. And then there's mm-hmm. something about that that I'm kind of used to, or maybe a little addicted, addicted to, yeah. but so the, so the, the, the aspect of gossip, especially if we're talking about someone else and how, how we are better than they are. Like that's actually the um, not being the slowest animal in the herd played out through a social context. Oh, wow. Right? Because as mammals, not, not, you know, the lizard brain's a little different. That's just, am I safe? But sort of the the mammalian brain is like, am I loved? Which Mm -hmm. the extrapolation of that, because if I'm not, then I won't be taken care of and then I'll get eaten. And so there's an aspect of belonging that is like a, a very innate need when we're operating in the limbic brain. And so it's, it's interesting that you bring up this idea of gossip, right? Because it's like, as long as I'm 
not the one being talked about, I'm safe. It's very primal. I'm loved. It is. It is. And that is why, you know, and that's why I like, like I was saying, like, and when we take it out of the context of guilt and shame and we actually look at it from like what's happening in our brain and what we're getting from it, Mm -hmm. then we could recognize like, oh, okay, well, we're really just gathering around gossip as a way to feel safe together. Wouldn't it be interesting if instead of using that, we just acknowledge like, I have a little social anxiety. Do I belong here? Uh-huh. You know? Or if we found other ways, and of course it takes a little practice and a, well, a lot of practice and a lot of awareness, but it could be interesting if in circles where that tends to happen, if that conversation could shift to how we all belong together versus alienating someone else in order to know that we're in and they're out. Mm, uh And this would be really valuable information in junior high and high school. In my experience. Oh my God. Yes. Very helpful. You know? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're like, uh, you know, kind of going down the rabbit hole here, but it's always so fun to do that with you. Yeah, it is. Well, do you have any other tips for people with the shadow? I feel like you covered a lot. Um, Well, I would, yeah, I would say to tie in a key thing about shadow work is to recognize that anything that's in the shadow is in the shadow for a reason. And so, um, and these behaviors, like you're saying, like these kind of habitual behaviors that feel hard to resist or deeply ingrained, if we can step out of the place of um, guilt and shame about them and get curious, then we might be able to start to recognize, oh, this is me being in my survival behavior. Clearly, I'm feeling socially awkward right now and i'm going for like the easiest way to deal with that what you know and then there then we have a little more choice about it and so looking at like shadow really like if you want to talk about it it's really anything that you don't want to look at or you haven't or you haven't looked at yet Mm -hmm. and as we get more context and a little more witness awareness around these things that seem like compelling behaviors or things that seem to like be like pulling on us in a way we can't figure out. You know, once we can put it out there, then we start to bring it into the light and we can actually work with it. And we can normalize it for each other too, (laughs) so that we're not having to do it all by ourselves. Yeah, well, this, this has been, this has been a very interesting conversation. It didn't go where I thought it was going to go. I thought, I honestly thought it would be more about let's list, let's list the things that are negative and let's talk about that. And um, I I do want to say one thing. I went to a shaman at once. I've been to many And this one particular one was saying, you know, when you're young, in order to fit into society, there's pieces of you that has to go into the earth. And then you can later when you're an adult and it's, you can get a shamanic 
I don't know, I don't know the term, but you can get a shaman to invoke those things that you had to deny yourself that's deep inside the earth they can come out and then back into you and i, I will say and i'm very pessimistic person when it comes to stuff like that like i don't believe i don't believe it until it actually happens and i will say i did feel a difference when that happened to me i did feel like pieces of me were coming back after that experience with the shaman um do you feel like that is also shadow or do you think that that's something a little bit different i think it's absolutely it yeah Mm -hmm. and how beautiful is it that we have so many healing modalities yes you know and to be honest like those those shamanistic practices they predate psychology and Mm. i'm gonna guess you know i mean i know that that carl jung was an avid reader, studier, explorer of like everything that he could connect with. So I, I, I think that our, our sort of modern psychology, some of those modern psychology practices trace roots way back to these original, original traditions, you know, indigenous traditions. And there's some deep wisdom there. There is, um, I would say one other thing you asked me about resources. Yes. There's a really great book by Lama Soltram and the book is called Feeding Your Demons. So it is a bit of like like a shamanistic practice that traces its roots back in the Buddhist tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. So um, if you want to get a book, so I gave like one just really simple, straightforward practice, but if you want to go down the rabbit hole and get a book that teaches you really how to use active imagination and, um, something that's based in a very, very old, um, traditional way of doing shadow work, feeding your demons is a fantastic book. Cool. I'll have to check that out and I'll put it in the show notes so people have a link to it. Awesome. And you, you have a bunch of cool things coming up. Don't you, don't you have a 200 hour training online? Is that what you have I, coming up? I do. Yeah. I have a 200 hour online yoga teacher training. And one aspect of that teacher training is uh, spiritual psychology and the chakras. And so we do some of this work and we talk about these ingrained patterns and there's a somatic foundation to that 200 hour training. So um, like we were talking about using your yoga practice, not just to move your body around, which is still a very healthy and wonderful thing to do, but in the process of that to also feel um, in your body and start to understand your own internal body language, how your body is speaking to you. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting program. We've never offered it online. Obviously we're doing that because of current circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's a unique opportunity to study yin yoga, vinyasa yoga, restorative yoga, and then all of that in the context of the somatic experience and spiritual psychology. Wow. That sounds very healing. What, um, when is it in June or when? What date? It's yeah. June 1st to July 1st. So it's the entire month with three Mondays off. So you'll have three Mondays off to sort of like walk around and be like, 
wow, I'm digesting a lot of content, but we'll have a lot of practices. So even though it's an online experience, it's not going to be like a head in the computer um, all day kind of feeling. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again, Gia, and I'll have to have you back soon. Um, Where can people find you online? Ah, uh, geocondayoga.com and that's G-I-O-C-O-N-D-A-Y-O-G-A.com. And I'm also on social media platforms at Geoconda Yoga. All right. Well, I'll see you next time. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode about yoga in the shadow with the knowledgeable, wise Giaconda Parker. All her info is in the show notes, so you're just one click away from connecting with her. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. There are great member perks. And the link to that is in the show notes, or you can simply go to my website, ashleyweberyoga.com, to find out more. If you liked what you heard, please show us some love and share with your friends. And if you would like to help the podcast further, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can email us at yogaandpodcast at gmail.com. The and is spelled out Y-O-G-A-A-N-D podcast at gmail. Please follow us on Instagram. Yoga and podcast is our handle. And let us know if you have any specific topics for the show. We now have merch such as coffee mugs, tote bags, t-shirts, and more. And you can uh, look into that on my website, ashleyweberyoga.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.